0: Well, happy Easter to you! I'm glad that you're spending part of your Easter celebration uh, here with us at, at First Baptist, and and you know Easter really is a celebration, isn't it? It's a celebration of uh, all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. It's a celebration that, that it's kind of built on a, on a validation, a validation of uh, of the resurrection. That in the resurrection, it was as if God the Father validated everything that Jesus said, everything that He taught, everything. that that he did Easter is a celebration because the whole Christian faith hinges on the reality of the resurrection Paul said if there is no resurrection then then our faith is worthless we are to be the most pitied of all people but because of the resurrection uh, we have life we have hope we have so much uh, to, to celebrate it's also a celebration of faith uh, of a faith that, that makes a, a transformational difference in in the lives of individuals and in the lives of families not only for here and now Uh, but forever and ever. And that's perhaps why one of the most beloved scriptures in all the New Testament is a very simple one. Some of you may have heard it for many, many years. Maybe you even committed it to memory somewhere uh, along the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life life. And in that verse is, is, is such such hope and such encouragement. And you lay alongside that some of the statistical data that you, you gather from Gallup or uh, the Pew Research Organizations or even Rasmussen or the other polls out there. And what they consistently show is that Americans say we have a high high belief. The vast 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 majority of Americans, when polled, say we believe in God. We believe in God. In fact. Is the majority of Americans would even say, we believe in the resurrection. We, we believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that sounds like terrific news when you lay a promise like that alongside some of that research. But then you also say, well, what else does the Bible have to say? And in Jesus' own words, Jesus the crucified, Jesus the resurrected one, in Jesus' own words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, immediately when we read a verse like that, we think, all right, how does that line up with John 3, 16? And what it begins to hint at, if not to say very explicitly, is that Not everybody that says they have faith has faith. Not everyone who might answer yes to a poll necessarily has transformational faith. You can't tell a true believer just by their words. In fact, is Jesus' half-brother, James, who became a leader in the church and wrote a letter that's been preserved for us in the New Testament that bears his name, the, the, the book we call it, sometimes the book or the letter of, from James, put it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And what James is Picking up on the words of Jesus is that there is a distinction. There is a distinction between faith that is genuine and faith that is real and faith that is something else. That you can't just look at someone, what they say or even what they feel or what they think, and know if there's a real faith. That There has to be some evidence of that in life that goes back to something they do. As I was thinking about that, I thought about kind of one of the discussions in our culture right now. And I don't know if you've been tracking with any of it or not. It's not a new phenomena, but it's kind of taken on a new life because of the speed at which news travels. It's called fake news, right? Fake news. What in the world is fake news? Well, fake news has a lot of different varieties. Sometimes fake news just appears on a legitimate website as a news story, but it's basically click, clickbait. It's clickbait. It's kind of this story to get you to click on this so it'll take you to another website where they can sell you something or they can gather your information or drop something on your computer or whatever it may be. So it's really a fake news story that's just designed to be clickbait to get you to another website. There's another variety of fake news, and that's news that, that's not totally factual. In fact, is it may be more fabrication than factual, but it has kind of a headline. And it has a purpose. The purpose is to get disinformation or to distract or, or maybe even kind of in a propaganda way. And this became real prevalent even during the last election cycle as there was all these accusations of campaigns floating fake news stories to try to distract from messages or give misinformation out there along the way to confuse the mind of the public. And, and as I thought about that kind of phenomena and, and what's made it more real now in our culture, it Used to be fake news stories would sometimes just get a life in in kind of mainstream media, or maybe you'd get an email from somebody passing along this story. But now, in the day and age of social media, news stories, even fake news stories, can go viral in a matter of moments. I mean, it can it can spread like wildfire. And so, you know, everything in your Facebook feed's not true, by the way. Just just a, just a thought, just a thought there, right? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of nonsense out there that gets Pass as, as real news sometimes. But as I thought about fake news and real news, I thought about what the Bible says about fake faith and false faith, that there is the genuine article, and that is distinct and different from that which sometimes passes as faith, particularly in a culture like ours where it's still somewhat culturally acceptable to to say you're you're a person of faith as long as you don't get too crazy about it right so what is that distinction and so as i thought about easter sunday morning and i thought about us gathering here I thought about all the things we could talk about. And if you're in one of our Bible study groups, Adult Bible groups on Sunday morning, uh, you'll be studying kind of some of the passages that have to do with the resurrection. But here's, here's what I desire this morning. I'm just going to tell you on the front end. My desire this morning is that you would get crystal clear on some of the characteristics of genuine faith. I, I want every person that walks in and out of this room over the course of three services this morning to have clarity of understanding what is genuine faith versus that which might just be faith that shows up in a random poll along the way. And and so in order to do that, I'm going to just kind of take that word faith and use that kind of as an outline this morning, F-A-I-T-H. But as I do that, here's my hope. My hope is that you'll get crystal clear on this because I know... I know the power of genuine faith. I know the power of genuine faith to transform your life here and now and to transform it for all eternity. I know the danger of placing a hope and trust in fake faith. And so I want you to have crystal clear clarity over what is genuine faith. And then perhaps allow God's Spirit to speak to you about the, the genuineness of your faith Experience. So let's dive in. The F stands for follow. That genuine faith follows his lead, it follows the rightful leadership of Jesus Christ in my life. The first invitation of Jesus to his disciples was to follow him. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. And followed him. Now there's a lot there. One of the first things that's there is I want you to see what he's inviting you to. He's inviting you to a relationship. Follow. Me. He's not saying just follow some abstract set of teachings or a list of, of rules right and wrong. But he's saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to engage in and enter into this personal relationship with me. Follow me. But for some of us when we hear that word follow, that follow me, we begin to say, Oh, I don't know. I mean, isn't following Jesus that isn't that kind of dull? And maybe doesn't that take the fun out of life? And isn't following Jesus about all the things that you don't do or can't do or shouldn't do or whatever it might be? What I say to folks is, you don't understand Jesus. You don't understand Jesus. When you read the New Testament, when you read the life of Jesus, you, you see someone who is radical, someone who is revolutionary, someone who invites you to live in a countercultural way, who invites you to engage in a lifelong adventure of walking with God and seeing God do incredible things in you and through you in the lives of other people. If you truly follow Jesus and not just be religious, but if you truly follow Jesus, it becomes powerful. It becomes transformational in your life. Following Jesus brings so much to my life here and now, as well as for all eternity. And so the essence, the first characteristic of this multifaceted jewel of faith is follow His lead. And when I follow His lead, it brings so many benefits into my life. I'll just highlight two very quickly this morning. The first benefit it brings is clarity. When I follow Jesus, it brings a clarity to my life. Jesus' words again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of Life. Well, what he's saying to us is listen, when you follow me, when you follow me, I I begin to give you insight. I can give your life focus. I can give your life direction. I can bring a, a perspective to bear in your life that will change the way that you live your life. There are so many folks that drift through life. There are so many folks that just take their cues from what everybody else around them is doing. But when I invite Jesus to be the leader, when I follow his lead, he begins to bring clarity. He begins to be direction. He gives me purpose. He gives me focus. He gives me a radically different perspective. I see life differently because I am following him. He gives to me clarity, but not only clarity. But Jesus also brings stability, brings a stability into my life when I follow his lead. Jesus often taught in stories. If you read the New Testament, you find him telling stories all the time. Well, oftentimes we'll call them parables. And among the the, the stories that he told, he told a story of two builders, two builders who were building a house who built on two very different foundations. One of the foundations was sand. One of the foundations was rock. And he said, what inevitably happens, storms come. And when those storms came, the two houses on two radically different foundations had two very different uh, stories from that point forward. The one built on the sand collapsed. The one on the rock stayed firm. It was stable. And then Jesus went on to make application. And when he made the application to the house built on the rock, he did so with these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that's the essence of following his lead, hear what he says and adjust and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Listen, this is what I know about my life and yours. You will have storms you will have storms and some of you are here this morning and it's a beautiful Easter day and and maybe you got eggs to hunt and meals to eat and all those things but you're still in the middle of a storm you are in the middle of a storm some of you just come out of a storm all of us if we hang around long enough are going to head into another storm eventually right Storms are an inevitable part of life. The question is, what gives you stability in the midst of the storm? Following Jesus, following his lead, not only provides direction and clarity, but it provides stability in the midst of life's inevitable storms. Genuine faith is marked by following his lead, but it's also marked by accepting His grace. Genuine faith accepts His grace. Paul wrote to a group of believers in a place called Ephesus, and in that letter he wrote these words For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not about what I bring to the table. It's not about earning anything. It's about what He has given to me by His grace. And fact is, the Bible makes it pretty clear what I bring is a huge debt. What I bring is a real problem. Paul put it this way For the wages of sin is death. What I have earned, what I deserve by choosing my way instead of His way, by pushing God to the periphery of my life, by ignoring Him, by, by following my lead instead of his lead, though doing that, I have brought death—physical death—but far worse, an eternal death, a separation from God, now and for all eternity. That's what I earn. That's what I deserve. But the free gift—the free gift of God—is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that grace gets tossed around a lot, it can sometimes be almost a meaningless word. What is grace? Grace is God giving me what I need instead of what I deserve. It's God giving me what I need instead of what I deserve. What I need is forgiveness. What I need is restoration. What I need is, is, is a new heart, a new life, a new capacity. I can't get any of those things on my own. I have to accept his grace. And the first step in accepting his grace is admitting my need. I can't do it. You did for me what I cannot do for myself. Genuine faith doesn't try to earn God's love. Genuine faith recognizes it could never earn God's love. Sometimes when I'm in a discussion with someone about, uh, about faith, about a relationship with God, sometimes they kind of pull out the trump card, you know. Their trump card goes like this. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I believe in God. I try to keep the Ten Commandments, or I try to live by the golden rule, or whatever it might be. And those are all admirable things, and the world would be much better off if everybody actually tried to do those things. The catch is those things in and of themselves don't make me right with God. The way that I try to explain it is an illustration that helped me years ago. It's the difference between do and done. See, almost every religion in the world, you can spell with the word D-O, do. I do things. I do things to earn God's favor. I do things to earn God's approval. I do things to earn God's forgiveness. That's almost every religion in the world when you boil it down. But authentic biblical Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E it's not what I do it's what Jesus Christ has done for me that Jesus came to live the life that I was called to live a life of perfect love and perfect obedience that Jesus died the death that I deserve to die as punishment for my sin he was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead validating what he taught and what he said and what he did and the price that he paid and my role in that is not to try to do things to earn that forgiveness because it's impossible My role is to accept his grace, to accept his grace and to say, God, thank you that you did for me what I could not do for myself. God, I admit, without you, I'm helpless and hopeless. But because of what you did, I have hope. Because of what you did, I can have a new life in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, I ask you to pour out your grace, your unmerited favor in my life. Genuine faith follows his lead. It accepts his grace. And out of that platform of grace, genuine, authentic faith invests my life. It invests my life for him. Paul, writing to the Romans, put it this way Do not present your members, talking about the members of your body, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. When you accept his grace, you now have a new capacity to live. You now have a new potential for living. You can order your life. You can invest your life in an entirely different way because sin no longer has the right to rule and have dominion over you. Authentic faith recognizes this new capacity, this new life, this new potential that I have in Jesus Christ. To the Corinthians, Paul said, and he died, being Christ, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised that that i begun to understand listen i I don't i don't live for myself i don't live to invest my life in only me it isn't about me it is about him and i want to invest my life i want to spend my life for him all of us are going to spend our life on something right some folks spend their life in survival and we have to survive but that's kind of about the highest level of living. I mean, they, they work, they pay the bills, they do kind of keep the house up, fulfill obligations, go to bed, get up, and do it all over again. Day after day turns into week after week, month after month, year after year. They're existing, but they're kind of surviving. They're surviving. Some folks want a little bit more than that. They want a little bit more than survival, and so they start to pursue success. Now, there's lots of different definitions of success out there for sure, but whatever their definition of success is, maybe it's position or power or popularity or or travel or uh, whatever it is, but they pursue their definition of success, and they, they invest their life, they spend their life pursuing success. But some of you may be at the point... That many have found themselves at after 20 plus years of pursuing success as one man put it he said you know I finally got to the top of the ladder only to discover that the ladder was leaned up against the wrong wall I pursued success but it didn't in the end give me meaning it didn't bring me joy it didn't bring me fulfillment it didn't deliver what I thought it was going to deliver The third thing you can pursue and invest in, and that's significance. Not just survival and not just success, but a life of significance. Investing your life in something that's going to outlive your life. Investing your life in Christ and His kingdom. Investing your life in people in such a way that you help point them to Jesus Christ. You add value to them. You lift them up. You value people because Christ values people. And you begin to invest your life for Him and for His kingdom. And when you invest your life that way, you discover life. Jesus said, when I give my life away, when I invest my life pursuing his definition of success and significance, then I discover life. It's that paradox. Give my life away, invest my life, I discover my life. Again, Jesus was a great storyteller, great storyteller. In Matthew 25, he told a story beginning in verse 14. It actually goes through verse 30 sometimes called the parable of the talents. And when it talks about talents here, it's not talking about natural gifts and abilities. It's actually talking about units or measurements of money in this particular story. And the story goes like this. You can read it in Matthew 25. The story is of a a wealthy uh, landowner, had lots of resources. He had servants. And he entrusted to these servants a certain portion of his goods, measures of money, He gave one five, one two, one one. He said, I'm going off for a while, I'll come back. Put it to work. What I have entrusted to you, put it to work. And so they did. At least two of them did. The master eventually returned, and when he returned, he demanded an accounting. What did you do? What did you do with what I entrusted to you for a season? And the one who had been entrusted five, he had invested it well. He had had a great return on investment. He brought it before the master, and there was rejoicing. The guy had two same things, same story. There was great rejoicing. In fact, is when Jesus told this story, this was his summation of what the master said to those two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of God of your master. When I invest my life for him, there is joy. When I invest my life for him, he entrusts even more to me. There is that payoff for this investment. But there was another story with a guy who was only entrusted with one. And maybe the master knew he couldn't entrust a whole lot to him. Maybe that's why I only gave him one. Because instead of investing it, he just kind of held on to it. Survival mode. And he had nothing to show for his handling of those resources. And instead of being well-done, good, and faithful servant, he was reprimanded as a wicked, lazy servant. And the final sentence was the condemning one. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Why? because he didn't believe in the master no because he didn't invest in him he didn't invest in him what the bible tells us what jesus was telling us through that story is that we have all been entrusted we have all been entrusted with life for a season And with that life, we have gifts and talents and abilities. We have financial and physical resources. We have opportunities and all of those things. All this we've been entrusted with. But there is going to come a day when there is going to be an accounting, where the master is going to come back, and there's going to be at least two key questions that will be a part of that accountability. The first question is, what did you do with my son Jesus? I think the Father's going to ask every one of us, what did you do? With my son Jesus? Did you give him lip service or did you give him your life? Did you give him a passing nod of belief or did you follow his lead and accept his grace? And then I think the second question is what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I entrusted to you? time, treasure, talents, just slice it up any way you want. What did you do? What you do with your one and only life matters. That's why if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard me ask, what are you going to do with your one and only life It's going to matter for all eternity? I'm asking you that question now because I'm convinced somebody's going to ask you that question later. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? Genuine faith invest invest in him and invest in his kingdom two other letters t trust genuine faith trust his wisdom and his strength all all the, all that that we go through in life can sometimes test us can it and that what the encouragement of scripture is therefore Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did I receive him? By his grace through faith, that, that I, I place my trust in Him, in the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Genuine faith continues to trust Him, continues to trust in His perfect provision, trust in His wisdom, and trust in His strength. And, and so we come to those encouragements of God's Word, such as Romans eight twenty eight, And we know, and we know that those who l- love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So that we come and say, God, the truth is there are so many things I don't understand in life. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why this trial. I don't understand why this hasn't worked out. God, I don't, there are so many things I don't understand. But God, what I do understand is that you're still in control. What I do understand is even when I don't understand, you understand. What I do understand is that I can trust that you are at work, even in this thing that seems like a mess and I don't understand it, but you are at work, causing all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Paul would write to some folks in a place called Philippi, writing from a place of imprisonment. And he would say, you know, there have been seasons in my life where I have had abundance. Things have been going well. And there have been other seasons in my life where I have suffered terrible need. But what I have discovered, whether it's a season of abundance or a season of need, I can do. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Genuine faith says, God, what I understand is that whatever you allow in my life, good, bad, ugly, whatever you allow in my life, you will give me the strength that will be sufficient for the opportunity, strength that is sufficient for the challenge. Genuine faith, and we all have ups and downs, and we all have good days and bad days, but genuine faith, trust in God's wisdom, God's timing, God's love, God's strength. You want to know the surefire sign that you're not trusting in God's wisdom and strength? Here it is. Worry. Worry. Every time I let worry grab grab my throat, I know I'm not trusting. I'm not trusting his wisdom. I'm not trusting his strength. I'm not trusting in his love and timing and power. Worry is the sure sign that I'm not trusting. The opposite of, of trusting is worry, is worry. Genuine faith pushes beyond worry, and then we all experience that emotion, but pushes beyond worry to trust in his wisdom and his strength. And the H is to hold on. To hold on. Genuine faith is characterized by holding on to His promises. Someone said there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible, an incredible number of promises in the Bible. And what the New Testament tells us is that all the promises, for all the promises of God, find their yes in Him. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. All of those thousands of promises that Scripture gives us find their ultimate fulfillment, their, their ultimate meaning, their ultimate delivery system to us is through Jesus Christ. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so genuine faith comes back and holds on to those promises, holds on to those promises Uh, A little while ago, did a series just through Romans 8, uh, called it the Great Eight, that great eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And it is filled with so many promises. And I just, I loved teaching through that series. And I've just kind of been keeping some of those just on the forefront of my mind all throughout uh, the days that have followed that series. One such promise, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but I hold on to that promise. I hold on to that promise. And I'm looking out at some of your faces, and I know. I know what some of us have walked through since last Easter. And some of you have said goodbye to a loved one. Some of you have buried a dear friend. And you know, you know the pain of that. But you know... promise you know the promise that nothing nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and I'll just tell you out of that Romans 8 series one of the things I've been trying to do very regularly is I've just been trying to start the day and sometimes it's even one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning I mean I was you know in my zombie state this morning but I was I was doing it God thank you thank you that you're with me thank you God that you're for me today God, thank you that there's nothing that's going to come into my life today that's going to be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are the one who's causing all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, thank you that your grace is more than sufficient for anything that's going to come into my life. God, thank you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I come back, I come back and I hold on to the promises of God. God. And as we think about resurrection day, as we think about resurrection Sunday, we hear the promise from the lips of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Will you hold on to this promise? Peter, who was kind of the point person of that inner circle of 12, those 12 followers, apostles of Jesus Christ, the spokesperson for the group, wrote some letters. Among them are some that are preserved in the New Testament for us. One has the title in our Bibles, 1 Peter. And in that letter, he wrote these words, Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hold on to the promises that you have a living hope, that in Jesus Christ, if it's matched with genuine faith, you now have a past that is forgiven. No matter what you brought into the room this morning, no matter what is part of your past, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. The blood of Jesus Christ can make you clean. The blood of Jesus Christ can bring forgiveness to bear, can restore you to a right relationship with God. That's what the resurrection validated. If you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, you now have a purpose for living. It's not just about survival. It's not just about pursuing somebody else's definition of success. But you have a purpose, you have a direction that God wants you to live a life of significance and you have a home being prepared for you in a very real place called heaven all of that are the promises that god offers to us in jesus christ that god validated through the resurrection of jesus christ what is genuine faith it means i follow his lead i accept his grace i invest my life for him i trust his wisdom and his strength and I hold on to his promises but there's another way you can take that word faith that I think might be helpful for us this morning it's in your note-taking guide f-a-i-t-h forsaking all I trust him the essence of faith is forsaking all I trust Trust Him. Forsaking all attempts at self righteousness, of earning God's love and forgiveness. Forsaking my uh, previous life of running my own life or doing things my way. I forsake all of that. It's called repentance in the Bible. Forsaking all of those things, I trust Him. Him. I trust the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I trust in the power of His resurrection. I trust in His promises. I follow His lead. I accept His grace. I invest in in His kingdom. I trust His wisdom and power and strength. I hold on to His promises, forsaking self-righteousness, forsaking my sin, my self-determination. I trust Him. Now, there's a part of me, whenever I get to share this, I say, why doesn't everybody jump on this, right? Why doesn't everybody jump on this? One one famous uh, businessman said, you know, when I came to understand the grace of God, I knew I was never going to get a better deal than that. I was never going to get a better deal than that. Why? Why would I hesitate to forsake all and trust in Him? And as I've wrestled with that, as I've read and talked to others through the years, you know, a lot of different reasons sometimes we say, so, well, it's pride or it's ego or uh, all these things. But, you know, I think even underneath that is another word because I find it operating in my life. It's the word fear. Fear. Why would I hesitate? Fear. I'm afraid of giving up control. And I know I'm not the only control freak in the room this morning, right? I'm afraid of giving up control. I'm afraid of feeling like I can't earn my way. And sometimes I'm afraid to let God really be God of my life. But you know what the Bible says? Perfect love casts out fear. When I understand God's love, it casts out that fear. And it enables me to forsake it all and trust in him. Which takes me back to the beginning, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. When you understand that radical love, it casts out fear. And that is my desire for you today. See, I don't want you just to have clarity about what genuine faith is, but I want you to have a heart commitment to genuine faith. My prayer for this morning has been that there would be people that would walk in this room that maybe they came in as a seeker. They were just, they're not sure. Maybe they came in as a skeptic. Maybe they came in thinking they had genuine faith but maybe God in His grace would let them know today that what they had was a fake faith and that they would not just walk out of this room with a clarity of understanding of what, what genuine faith is but they would forsake all and trust in Him they would allow the perfect love of Jesus Christ to so wash over them that they would push be- past that fear and place their trust in Him. And so it would be my greatest pleasure today to lead you in doing just that. And this is what I want to do. In just a moment, I'm going to give voice to a prayer. And I'm not going to ask you to pray that out loud. What I'm going to ask you to do is just, just to be still. And if it helps you to bow your head and close your eyes, please feel free to do that if it helps you to focus. But as I just articulate these words if it sounds like what you want to say from your heart to god today then i'm just gonna i'm just gonna ask you where you're at just to just to say and you can say it in your head god will know or you can even mouth it quietly with your lips but as i walk through this maybe today you just need to say me too god me too that's what i want that's what i need that's what i want to do and i guarantee you that if you mean business with God, he means business with you. And so right where you are, I'm just going to ask you, whatever helps you to focus on God's presence right now, I just want to give voice to a prayer. And if this prayer is helpful to you, if it puts into words what you want to say to God today, just tell him by saying, me too. As I go through these sentences, just say, me too. Me too, God. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in love for us. And today I just pray, Jesus, I want to have a real faith in you, not a fake faith. Thank you for dying for my sins and showing me the way to live. Say, me too. Me too, God. Today, I want to become a true believer in you. I want to follow your lead. I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy. You made me for significance. And I want to invest my life in serving you. I want you to help me trust in your wisdom. And your strength. And I want to hold on to your promises when times are tough. Maybe today you just need to say, me too. Me too, God. And as you just continue to sit before the Lord, I'm, I'm going to ask you, if you still have a Connect card,